Hey, it's the Men Podcast here with Red's Fly Shop, your host Joe Roeder, um, coming at you from Russia in Kamchatka. So, just got done with uh, what I would say is my personal best trout fishing trip ever, although I'm sitting here with Shan Sedgwick, and he, um, before I bring Shan on, he's like second time podcaster. But before I bring him on, I'm going to I'm gonna suffice this by saying, like, when you are asked to choose what the best fishing trip ever is, it's like choosing which child you have to save because all the dang trout fishing trips are so good. Like, how could Russia be that much better? But it was, it was quite an experience in just kind of a, this qualitative way in all ways between, like, culture, food, travel experience, wildness, fishing, all the above. It's been pretty awesome, so we're we're gonna recap it now and just talk about what a great experience we have. So, anyway, everybody, welcome Shan Sedgwick to the podcast. Guys, thanks for welcoming me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so we're sitting in what I call a yurt. Shan contends it's not a yurt because it's not round. <laughs> it's a little A-frame cabin that's been here a while. Um, super comfortable. We're in one of our bunk houses, which. We call it coming in and out of this thing kind of the airlock because there are a few mosquitoes. So you you kind of have to you have to get in here in the cabin, get through the airlock, and uh, we're pretty comfortable now. I'm surprised how few bugs actually get in this little structure. Hey Joe, I'm going to take a minute to be just painfully honest with everyone. There are mosquito nets over the beds. Um, you are 100% deeded up every day. Uh, you protect all your line because. The only negative about this trip is mosquitoes. If they took the mosquitoes away from here, I think it might be my heaven. Oh, there'd be way too many people out fishing. And then the fishing wouldn't be as good, and it wouldn't be the best trout fishing trip ever. But, yes, there are mosquitoes, like, in camp. You know, we're camped on the tundra. Uh, Well, shoot, let's back up for a sec. Uh, Yeah, I'm severely bug-bitten. I'm happy as a clam. I'm drinking some uh, Huckleberry Vodka Tea. Uh, that Svetlana Mama Bear uh, made for us. We're in the Ozernaya camp. We're fishing with the best of Kamchatka on the Ozernaya River in the Kamchatsky region of Russia. It's it's amazing. So that's the trip we're on. It is July whatever, um, 28th, 29th, 30th, something like that. I can't keep track of the days. I know we fly, we get on a helicopter tomorrow and start a trip home. But Boo. Boo is right. But it's been, uh, it's a big trip. Uh, it's a long ways from home, but yeah, the mosquitoes are you know, one of the only downsides. But when you're on, when you're on the river, though, did you find the mosquitoes were that bad? Nope. When you're on the river, unless you're on a specifically uh, smaller side channel with lots of grass, sometimes there aren't any mosquitoes at all for those eight hours. I'm gonna take a pause for just a sec. Carl, Carlos needs in his cabin here. So Never. let's pause for a sec while I Carl through the airlock. All right, so Carlos, welcome through the airlock. You're now in a quarantined area, no mosquitoes. Yeah, it's kind of a quick shuffle. Get in, get out. Don't let the bugs in. Don't let the bugs out. But back to the bugs thing, like because that's going to be one of the number one questions that I think people have before they, you know, want to get on a trip like this. Like, how bad are the bugs? They're they're a memory. 
You know, they're not a deterrent. They're a memory like, man, remember how bad the bugs were? Like, when you're getting, like, there were mosquitoes around you, they're a little bit inconvenient. But I'm never going to look back and be like, man, this mosquito's really bad. You'll be like, no, there, it will be more of a factual statement. Like, yes, there were mosquitoes. I, I agree. You, you, you wear DEET. You put up your hood. You might have bug-off clothing or you might have something you've, you've sprayed with the... Uh, What's the other stuff that you pre pre pre? Hang on, just one second. Okay, Carl, don't lock me in. <laughs> What's the other uh, item that you used to pre pre pre? Permethrin. Permethrin. So you have precautions coming into this. Um, there is, and I'll tell you right now, I had a mosquito freakout moment where, just like cartoon, like I was going to go running through the field, going ah, <laughs> breathe, shaking my head. You're like down there breathing through a straw. Yeah, but but it is very controllable, and come day two or three, you just get used to it. Yeah, there there are some bugs, but uh, it's like any high latitude summer trip. I mean, you're going to have some bugs, but you know, part of that, you know. The population of mosquitoes is just, just the sheer fertility of these ecosystems. You get up here in the high latitudes and we're out, you know, this is really a tundra stream. Uh, it's all meadows and grass and wildflowers. And there are aspen trees and alder trees along the bank. But it, it's not like open moraine type tundra, but it's basically tundra. It's rolling meadows throughout, which harbors a lot of mosquitoes. It also harbors a lot of insect life and minnows. All right, Joe, we've covered it. Anybody who doesn't think that there are going to be mosquitoes or it might not be bad that week, you're mistaken. There are going to be mosquitoes. The only negative I have to say about the whole trip is there were mosquitoes, and I'm by it, and it was 100% still worth it. Like Joe said, it'll be a memory. So we've covered mosquitoes. We've talked about it. We've covered mosquitoes. <laughs> all right, let's talk about Let's do a couple minutes on the, the fishing. So, all right, so people are interested to know. The Osernai River... If you were to Google search best rainbow trout fishing in the world, no doubt the Ozardai River is very arguably the best rainbow trout fishing in the world. Not an indisputed champion because, like, that again, that's like choosing which kid to save, right? Like, you got to choose. But I poo pooed a trout today that I caught that I was like this stupid small trout. It was only 18, 19 inches. It wasn't over 20 inches. And I wanted to get it off my hook quickly so I could get a bigger one. It's a crazy good. Little squeaker. Little squeaker. Little squeaker, 18, 19 incher. And when, why the heck is that thing doing in this ecosystem? Yeah, it, it's pretty amazing. I The first, uh, yeah, the trout fishing is amazing. We've caught, you know, ra- spectacular rainbows anywhere from. Well, there's any size. I mean, you could get them anywhere from 12 to 28 inches this week. You're, you got one that might have pushed, you know, 29 or 30 inches. But the trip isn't just about big trout. There's, it's just about there's, there's quality trout with an amazing experience. And they're aggressive predators that eat mice. They eat streamers. They sip dry flies. We'll talk about that, you know, as we kind of dissect the fishing. But one of the best rainbow trout fisheries in the world. We caught dollies or Arctic char. We caught chums. Uh, what else? I caught some Gra- pinks. Grayling on streamers. I assumed I was I was bringing my five weight rod and my splitling atoms to catch grayling. 
but the grayling here are 20 inches, 17 to 20 inches plus, and they take the streamer. It's crazy. It is just flat out crazy. So the fishing's been pretty darn good. Um, all right, let's let's. Uh, what about Shan- how to get here? Yeah, let's talk about. I think that's a question. Like as we look back at like when you and I signed up and we we're going to do this trip. Natural questions were okay. Well, how the hell do you get there? Uh, we we flew. Well, we had some complications because of some weird traffic with our first flight, but it's pretty easy to get here overall. I didn't think it was bad at all. When you consider this as Russia, and I'd heard some people tell me you have to go through Moscow the old school way, and now you don't, um, it is similar to Cancun in every respect, getting there and getting back uh, when we fish the Ascension Bay, except there's a little bit of a stop in Anchorage. Yeah, so if you live on the West Coast, it's super easy because there's like a dozen flights a day, as we found out, that go from Seattle to Anchorage. You do a quick overnight in Anchorage, and then you leave it. You know, you fly out of Anchorage at 7.30 a.m. Alaska time. You get into Russia at God knows what time, 12, 12 o'clock, right? Yep. Something like that. It's a it's a pretty natural t- time. No, it was like 8.45 a.m. because the international date line. Let's not even go over how I lost a day of my life and I gained it back yeah. in the daytime. But getting from, from Anchorage to here is about four hours. Point being. We left Anchorage, Alaska. We landed in Russia four hours later. We got through the customs in Petropavlovsk, which was, yeah, easy. It wasn't anything complicated about it. It just takes a little bit. We got on a bus. We drove on a sweet bus, a luxury bus, grabbed some Russian beers on the way up, and had a nice trip through, you know, the southern portion of Kamchatka Peninsula. By the way, best best to Kamchatka supplies you with sausages, pepperoni, snacks, desserts, everything on the bus that you. <laughs> That's would right. Like. Yeah, the best. Day. These guys are knocking out of the park. They're doing a great job. Yeah, it was a super fun and comfortable bus ride. Seeing the Russian countryside, made a couple of pit stops, jumped on a helicopter uh, with the guys at the two year group that were heading that way. Flew in a helicopter for about fifty minutes to an hour. Refuel, flew for another 45 minutes. We're at the Alzheimer's camp. So basically, we left Alaska in the morning. We were fishing the Azernaya River in Russia in the afternoon. Yeah, It's that simple. Now, I will say, if you're doing some due diligence and you're checking out where to go in Kamchatka for this, if you're looking at the best of Kamchatka, they do something. I don't want to say it's sneaky, but they do not fly out of Petro with the helicopters. They drive about four, uh, three hours, three plus hours to get out of the weather so that you're not stuck staying overnight in some place you couldn't fly your helicopter out. Yeah, and you don't have to cross any major mountain ranges on their flights, too. So it is a little bit of a plug for them. These guys have worked their tails off for us this week. I mean, we couldn't, this trip. We'll get into the like logistics and camp, like some other stuff, but the guys. Couldn't have done a better job. Yeah. I mean, it's been been amazing. So, basically, you leave Anchorage in the morning. You are fishing that afternoon. I went and caught grayling. I caught a char, and I caught a sweet rainbow that same day that I left Alaska. Yep. So, let's, uh, before we get into, like, our week and kind of, like, highlights and 
stuff like that. Uh, let's chat about the camp because the camp has been photographed by pretty much every every fly fishing travel agency on earth. Uh, and I'd say they did a damn good job of glamorizing this place. Would you say? Yeah, you know what? It is famous. You see, welcome to the Oz uh, sign everywhere. And when I was considering going here, I saw the camp. But you don't really understand a few things that make it quaint and very livable and very comfortable for being out where it is. And genuine. And genuine. There you go. There you go. Genuine. I'm not telling you you're staying at the Hyatt Regency. I'm telling you you're out in the middle of nowhere and you have a bed, a cabin to yourself. There's a a, a very nice uh, dining area that is pretty much mosquito-free, which you do appreciate. There's hot showers. There's bathrooms that flush and running water. All those sort of things. How they do that out in the middle of nowhere (laughs) is a wonder. Yeah, because... Those things may not sound like much to you folks listening to this in your comfy office or car right now. You're out here in the Kamchatka wilderness, and you're like, sweet, they got a generator. We have lights right now. I can charge my Android phone that we're recording this podcast on. We got a sweet cook tent with lights, wood-fired hot showers that are plumbed. It it really is so like what I would, it really is amazing. But what I was saying about it being glamorized, you've got all these folks out there selling this trip and glamorizing this trip and taking these spectacular photos of this. And yes, it's spectacular. Like, this place is awesome. But you you got to realize, like, when you get here, it's genuine. This is a rugged Alaska wilderness. There's going to be some bugs in your tent. You're going to have bug nets over your beds. Uh, it's going to be, you know, you kind of have to do... You know, it's going to be muddy, you know. If there's rain, there's going to be muddy. There's going to be a leak in a couple of the cabins when you get a torrential rainfall. There's going to be all that stuff. They ain't going to show you in the movies, but none of that. It's all part of the damn adventure. I wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah, agreed. And and like Joe said before, if there was uh, Hyatt Regency here, it wouldn't be the, the, the shape that it's in where 10 anglers... A week, possibly at maximum, are here for seven weeks, maximum, 70 people fishing 100 miles of river. I, I don't think you can ever get on the fact that you won't be fishing the same river or the same where anybody else is. You won't see anybody all day. Nope. You won't see anybody. We're fishing about, uh, I think there's 100 miles of river to fish. We had 10 guests. We fished with five different guides over five different beats. I literally fished water the guides had never fished before. It, it, part part of the thing on the Osernaya, like the fish density here, you walk down to the river. So this morning, Todd and I walk up the high bank. We're like kind of killing a few minutes We got before we're going to take off in the boats. I walk up the high bank. I look down off the high bank. You know, I don't know. 100 feet above where the boats are, right? I don't know if you saw us yeah. down there. I look down, I go, oh, there's a 24-inch rainbow, which is a big rainbow. I'm not saying that's like, they're not behind every single rock, damn near. <laughs> but I look down, there's a 24-inch rainbow. So Todd goes and grabs his rod and a sculpin pattern. And it, from about 12 feet above the fish, he throws 
a cast or two over it and sticks a 24-inch rainbow 100 feet above the boat. So then he ends up losing the rainbow partially because he's 12 feet above the river. <laughs> I, I see, then I see there's a couple spawning chums right there that were just starting to lay. I see about, oh, a dolly that's in the high 20s, which I'm actually more excited about because I landed a bunch of 24-inch rainbow this week. But I did not land a dolly that would go... The dollies I caught were not as big as the rainbows I caught this week. So I was pretty stoked on this dolly. I'm looking at it going, God, that, I'm doing the math. I'm like, that thing's got to be 27, 28 inches. I'm like, it's a big-ass dolly. I threw that sculpin in there. Again, we have not... I literally set my coffee down to do this. I throw out that dolly, and that dolly follows that fly out, opens up his mouth, and I can see that big old mouth open up, and then... Whoop, I set the hook way too soon because the water is so clear. You can see everything happening like way too soon. Anyway, I missed that dolly. But the point is, the first, when I walk down to this river, you can walk into it. And you are going to see like salmonid minnows. You are going to see salmon fry of all species all over all the time. You're going to see sculpin. You're going to see every insect from stoneflies to mayflies to caddisflies. There is every part of the ecosystem in this river because it is one gigantic spring creek that also gets like five million salmon coming up it. All right. So we've talked a little bit about stuff. I had a trip with Joe to the bottom end of the river, closer to the inlet from the ocean. So, yeah, we ran down there with the owner, Will Blair. Will Blair, wonderful guy. He's here in camp with us. And because there's a condensed season for the salmon here, and I'm not saying it interferes with your fishing at all, but we saw kings, humpies, um, sockeye, dog salmon, trout, char, in the hundreds. We saw, yeah, we saw a thousand char yesterday, just just floating along, just be like, oh, there's yeah. Arctic char, like lined up down these bars. Oh, wait a minute! You mean now all the fresh kings are moving in? Because here's a line of kings. The the ecosystem for this this river, I'm not sure that it exists in one time period, anywhere in, in history. In history, yeah. like it exists here, because they have a shortened season for all the salmon to make it up here. There's not a king season. There's not a. They all kind of come up in one. Yeah, period. there's actually a cherry salmon uh, as well. They have yeah. six species of Pacific salmon that come in here. So. And uh, unlike a lot of other rivers, this doesn't get glacially scoured with big runoff. It's really just a spring-fed river, so it doesn't get the severe scouring that takes place. But, the fi- yeah, the fishing is, you know, absolutely outstanding. But let, let's let hit on, uh, you know, what kind of a day looks like as far as strategy uh, and what the boat situation's like. Give me, give me one quick second, Joe. Again, this is Shan Sedgwick. And I'm lucky enough to be included in this trip this year. And I'm going to tell you, if you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking about going to Kamchatka, one thing I had heard um, Mr. Blair say was people don't come here because they don't believe the hype. They don't believe that this could actually be as good as people are saying it is. You're saying they come here because they don't believe it. I'm saying the people that don't come here don't believe it. Mm. They, they're hearing everybody say how good it is. Like you and I are sitting here talking and they're thinking, they're, can't be that good. Can't be that good. As the very first day when we've all only fished for a few hours that night that we got here coming in from Anchorage and fishing that night, we were high-fiving ourselves and the words were, 
it was as good <laughs> as advertised. And we fished two hours. Two hours, two hours. It was really special. And, and, and we're all thinking, oh my God, that was the most amazing thing. And that was two yeah. hours. Yeah, I caught fish on mice, like my oh, first day. First cast, first cast of the boat. My buddy, it boiled on the mouse. He missed it. He thought that was the only chance he was going to get. The guy goes, throw it right back in there. He throws it right back in there. The fish hits it. It's yeah, eats the, ma- eats the mouse again. Yeah. All right. So, what can people expect? Uh, so, here's the short version. So, river gets broken up into different beats. You jump in a little jet sled with your guide. Two anglers per guide. The guide's going to have you wade fish, uh, or he's going to walk the boat. So he's going to jump out of the boat. He's going to walk it, and you can fish out of the boat. Walking the boat would be the same thing as kind of in a drift boat where the guy's oaring for you. Yeah. He's slowing it down. Two guys are are, are fishing from the boat, and it, it's a bit like a, a, a trip where the guy might be rowing the boat down to Madison for you. Except better because the boat's slower and there's not a damn oar in your way. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Except you don't have that barrier from front to back, like, where do I cast? Where do I not cast? It's more of a joke uh, for those that like to cast <laughs> over their buddy's line. But, uh, yeah, so you jump in the boat with the guide. You're either going to wade fish. Uh, the wading here is generally very easy. It's small gravel. It's shallow. It's clear water so you can see where you're going. I found the wading to be so stupid simple. Uh, I, my, my strong preference was to always fish on foot. We had a good time in the boat, too. You know, the guide walking the boat down because you can see really well out of the boat. But whether you want to wade, you want to be in the boat, shoot, it's easy. Um, either way you want to do it um, is great. So you'll go head out with the guide. You'll drive to your beat. You could drive uh, five minutes. You could drive, depending on the beat you're in, you could motor for an hour. just depends, but it's a scenic ride. Uh, we'll talk about bears maybe after. <laughs> so there's going to be a lot of talk about these brown bears here, which are awesome. Uh, but you're going to head out with your guide, and then you're either going to wade or you're going to be in the boat most of the time. General strategy. Uh I was totally prepared to fish mice, because that's what I've been dreaming about. Everybody wants to come to Russia and fish mouse patterns. And streamer fish. Okay. And then the third thing that I was not prepared for was this small dry fly fishing, which was incredible. You could go to the Missouri or the Henry's Fork or the best big dry fly fishing rivers in the world, and they ain't got nothing on the Oz for spot and stock dry fly fishing. All right. I told before, I said before, I brought a five weight and some split wing atoms, a total of six of them, because I wanted to catch some grayling on a dry fly. So we're out there fishing day one. Great guide. He says, hey, do you want to throw some bugs for big fish? Now, I don't know what he means by throw some bugs for big fish. I thought that's what we were doing already. And he said, no, you see him feeding over there by the bank. So we, we walk over there. And when he means we see them feeding over there by the bank, is he means we see fish in the 22 to 26 inch range slowly coming up and sipping either caddis, mayflies, that sort of thing. Everything a dry fly fisherman dreams about. Like, you know, I'm a, I can be a total hillbilly sometimes and like just, hey, let's just throw the mouse and the streamer at him and beat him over the head with it and watch him attack it. And that's all fine and dandy it's really exciting it's kind of what i came for but man given my you know given my choice if i got 25 inch 
rainbows sipping mayflies in a wild ecosystem. I'm throwing that mayfly every time. Out of the days, out of the day we fished, out of the days we fished here this week, the most dry fly fishing I had was about three hours. All to sight fishing to rising, rising rainbows. Yeah, with a few grayling and char mixed in, but yes, a lot of the time you could see, you know, obvious difference between a grayling and, and a rainbow dry, you know, dry fly rise. Anyway, that was a total bonus. But uh, let's talk uh, just because we, I want to keep this podcast about forty five minutes to an hour. All right. So Here daily fishing, daily fishing. You get out on the boat, you're on your beat, and you can change beats. Can kind of change guides. The guides generally take the same beat every week, so that way, if you want to, you can switch the beat and get a different guide every every week. So that's how they kind of rotate things. Streamer fishing is better off at the beginning, and then the mouse fishing I think picks up towards the later on end of the day. Yeah, so the the mouse and um, it's definitely one thing that is very appealing. Because uh, you can go streamer fish, you know, local rivers back in the states, and you know, certainly Alaska. You know, Alaska's got mouse fishing too, but there's not a place on earth that has mouse fishing like Kamchatka. I mean, there just isn't. It, it, as far as a general, you know, region, you know, Kamchatka is famous for the mouse fishing, but the mouse fishing, my, you know, I'll cut right to my my. I've been on one other good mousing trip on the Aralik River in Alaska. And it was great. Uh, it was a lot of fun. We did a lot of it out of the boat just because of the depth of the water and some other things. And yeah, while all that was fun and everything, I got to say being here and being able to walk uh, shallow water, because the Oz is generally, other than one of the beats upstream of camp, is a little deeper on average. Most of these beats are really shallow to wade. I can wade in shin to knee deep water and i could throw mouse patterns down back channels or in the main stem and i can get out away from the shore and i can cast in and i would i would be able to get out of the boat and walk downstream working the shore with a mouse pattern just casting right up against the shore twitching it and skating that mouse kind of a quartering down angle across and uh the other mouse trip i did was great and i it exceeded my expectations I'd say, uh, but this blew me away. I mean, I the mouse was actually at times more effective than a streamer, just depending on the water you're in and the you know the temper of the fish. So we threw Mr. Hanky patterns, we threw Morsh 2.0s, we threw the small Morsh 1.0s, we threw a giant rat pattern that John Hunter bring tube fly, tube mouse um, that we we got kind of uh, incognito from some guide friends in Alaska. I caught one of my biggest rainbows on that. I got a 25-incher on that tube mouse. Didn't look like much of a mouse, but that's what they're eating it as. You know, swimming critter on the surface. But uh, the mouse was really, really cool. What shocked me, though, about the mouse fishing, I don't know if you found this to be interesting, they took it like it was just all business. Like, I mean, what I, what I mean by that is like, yeah, I've been eating these mice all day long. You know, no big deal. Like, well, they just come up and eat it, right? Like, not like refuse it, not like attack it out of panic. You know, like I'm trying to get this thing out of here. Like they, <laughs> like they eat a spinner or a streamer sometimes. But like they would just come up and go. Uh, agreed. And, and the funniest thing was, if you missed it, every guide said, "Put it right back in there again." Oh yeah. He's looking for that damn that damn mouse. Put it right back over there. Yeah. You put it over there and. 
80% of the time, he tried to eat it or ate it again. Yeah, there's, they're predators, man. They're, these fish eat. They, We hooked fish. Uh, you say it was stay on the mouse because, man, we could just go off. I could be chasing squirrels all over the place in here regarding the fishing. My head is like swimming right now. But the mousing was really, really fun, being able to just fire a 30-foot cast. There's no value in being able to cast a long ways here on this trip. You need precise control and good line control at 5 to 40 feet. And when I say 5 feet, I really mean it. Like, we'll, we'll explain here in a minute. Like, good good line control, good line handling, good fishing management. Like, if you're going to go to Kamchatka, go to a bunch of trout fishing. Like, a crap ton of trout fishing. Now, like, get it done. Because you're going to need good line control both on foot and from the boat if you want to make the most out of your trip. And when I say make the most out of your trip, I don't mean being the guy that the guy that comes back that caught the most fish every day. I mean the guy that could go out and fish on his own terms, whether you're dry fly fishing, you're mousing, you're wading or whatever, and have a very satisfying day so that you can fish on your own terms. Let me interject one thing that, that was funny. We got 10, 10, 10 guys here in camp. And we have a lot of A-type personalities. we got a lot of guys who fished all over the world, some guys who haven't. And generally, when you come back to camp for that day, you say, oh, shit, how was your day? How many fish did you catch? And I tell you, to a person here, I never found somebody who gave me a number because it had far exceeded any expectation that a number wasn't important anymore. And this is the only place I've been where nobody counted how many fish they caught? Good. The, the, the number, like if you were to count the number of fish you caught, all it would mean is that you sold out and you fished your, I mean, all you did, you, you didn't look at the bears. You didn't look at the scenery. You didn't fish on your own terms. You didn't try dry fly fish. You didn't try to catch a grayling or char or whatever. Counting fish here, would, it would be so counterproductive to satisfaction, like, you only count fish up until about 15, like, at most. You right. know, like, right. here you can catch, I want to say you can catch as many fish as you want, but you can catch a lot of fish. That's that's pretty much the point. But you're right, like, that never came into the equation. My day-to-day was tapped off, or capped off because I got to wade fish all day. I got to do, I basically got to make all my own decisions and fish where I wanted. And I the guy just parked the boat and let me go do my thing. Ken and I. He cooked us this lunch. This podcast needs to be like four weeks long. Like, <laughs> a weekly installment. But he cooked us this. So his name's Sasha. And uh, he chopped up a bunch of firewood while we were wade fishing with a handsaw. Got all the firewood set up. Got a got a, a pot set up. We, we killed a couple of these uh, Arctic char. Uh, you know, the females are really fatty and bright. Killed a couple of those things, and then he chopped them up, bones, head, and everything. Threw everything in a pot, peeled some potatoes. I'd like to take credit for peeling some potatoes, but I misunderstood him, and I just washed the potatoes. (laughs) 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 And he peeled them. (laughs) There's a little language barrier there. Uh, So he peeled some potatoes, cut up an onion, seasoned it with lemon juice and some different spices, boiled that fish. Threw the fish head out. He threw that in to, to render the fat and grease out of the head. And it was legitimately, and it's not because I was hungry, it is one of the best meals I've eaten, was that fresh Arctic char. He made a very specific recipe that he does. 
And he built a campfire. He built a, a, a rack to, out of alder trees. And I know this all sounds like a, like a lot, like almost like, well, it's a hassle. I like fishing. Dude, the guy just whipped it up out of nowhere. Like, all of a sudden, he's got a fire going. He's boiling soup, and we're eating and catching grayling and rainbows on dry flies while he's cooking the soup. And then uh, we ended up capping off the day. It was the last day. We hiked to the top of this uh, kind of the cinder cone volcano thing. It's not really a volcano, but it's definitely a lava dome. Uh, and got on a high point and glassed up with the binoculars five brown bears on top of that thing. Joe said something here, and you kind of brushed on it. Nobody caught it, maybe. We said language barrier. Uh, we've been to places that have language barriers where you're worried about. Here, everybody pretty much speaks English really well. Yeah. Really well, or or well enough to definitely get any kind of fishing information you need. There is no, uh, he didn't, I didn't enjoy the guide because he did, couldn't tell me how to fish or he didn't tell me what to do. Yeah, when he said take care of the potatoes, <laughs> I thought he meant wash the potatoes. That's right. not really a language barrier. That's right. there miscommunication. Is, there is no language barrier here. No. Uh, so, mouse-wise, you're going to do great. Streamer-wise, uh, we fished floating lines the whole week. Yep. 15-pound test line, Rio Floor Flex Plus, 15-pound test you can get on our website and, and look at fly selections. Check out redsflyshop.com slash blog. And I think there's a way to search for like Kamchatka or Russia or something like that. But I'm going to do a very detailed trip report with all the photos and some videos and stuff like that. But it'll all be included in that blog. But uh, more about like uh, camp. So regarding camp, this place is awesome. We're missing out on a really good party right now, it sounds like. They have a camp. Yeah, at the campfire at the top of the hill. Yeah, they're at the campfire at the top of the hill having a big party, and we're down here podcasting. Working. We're working because it's fresh in our mind. And Shane will be hosting this same exact week in 2019. So if you listen to this, do you want to get signed up with guys who've been there? Um, I'll take care of all the, the payments and the booking and that kind of stuff, and Shane's going to be the man on the ground. Hey, call, sure honestly, give me a call. You get my name at Reds, and Joe will give you my number. Because... If you are on a fence or if you have a question or a a big disability part or something you want to discuss, I can answer honestly and so will Joe any questions you have about this unbelievable trip. Yeah, if we're hosting you, we want you to have a good time and a good value, so we're not going to be full of baloney. Um, we're going to be on the trip with you. But let's talk bears, man, because I'll tell you, coming into this trip, I'd always heard like, hey, Russia's got some, you know, some sweet brown bears. They're huge. And I had, I've only been to Alaska once, and I've been to Yellowstone a couple of times, and I've still never seen a damn brown bear or grizzly. But it took me, oh hell, well I didn't see that one the first night. No, I think I did. Did we see bears the first night? No, the first night was... No, they the just pepper sprayed the hell out of that bear sprayed. that tried to get in the cook cook cabin. Yeah. Yeah, Will Blair had to, had to mace a bear... I heard the dogs go bananas. They got these sweet, what are the, Leica dogs? Is that what they're Lycan called? dogs, yeah. They got this, these three bear dogs that are just outstanding, man. So he did say there was a bear in camp, guys. And I think people might take some pause or, or be worried. The dogs are here to chase the bears away. And they actually bite at them and bark them. And, and they, for the most part, chase the bears away. And when the bears hear the engine on the boat, they, for the most part, run away. There's not a lot of bear encounters that 
are anything more than I saw one on the side of the river. Yeah, there's not bear danger. It, it's enough to be interesting. I'll say that. Like perfect. Yeah, they they sprayed the bear. That thing's not coming back. They sprayed it the first night, and then so this, you know, I, I was really enthused. I'm like, I'm fascinated by all things wild. So like, I'm like, man, I want to see some dang brown bears, right? And uh, you know, the guides and stuff were pretty coy about it. They're like, yeah, you probably see some bears. You know, they're not overpromising anything. They don't. They're kind of like. They're not sure whether you want to see bears. Right. You're like, <laughs> what their correct answer is. Like, hey, are we going to see bears? Like, well, maybe this dude wants to see a lot of bears. Or maybe this dude does not want to see any bears. But we saw a tremendous number of bears. There was a lot of excitement. Night one, the bear sprayed one out of camp. And the dogs alerted the guides. Some of the guides that work at the best of Kamchatka are also bear hunting guides in the in their fringe seasons. They're very bear aware. You got nothing to worry about with these guys. They're they know what's up. Uh, but they sprayed the bear the first night. The second well, this day the first full day I saw probably eight bears. You know when I went up river uh, with with Denise is my guide. Or Dennis be like American pronunciation, but they actually call him Denise. Denise, I went up the stream with Denise, saw a bunch of brown bears, made my dreams come true. Got to watch bears fishing, get to watch bears catch some salmon. We get back to camp, numerous bear sightings from camp across the river and on the hills behind camp. It really added a, a great richness to the experience. And like Shan said, the bear dogs are spectacular. We got to watch them actually work a bear chase a bear nip at a bear out in the meadow behind behind the camp uh night before last what i gotta say about this is everybody's excited about the bears whether it's seeing them or apprehension day number one somebody said bear everybody ran we all looked and all that uh just a little while ago somebody said hey the dogs are on a bear outside if you want to look i don't think anybody got off the dinner table <laughs> to go look because we've all seen enough bears it's it's very cool Great. It's wonderful. I'll never forget any of the bears I saw. But you see them. Yeah, bring a, you know, one good tip would be bring bring a big telephoto lens. I got some bear pics this week, but no no National Geographic type stuff. Um, stuff that'll definitely, you know, cement a memory on the excitement that we had, uh, you know, seeing the bears and, and such. But All right, so Joe's been talking about camp a lot. Something he doesn't care about because this guy right here in front of me will eat pages of the book and tell me how delicious the pages of the book feel. Oh, the food. Let me just tell you about the food. And I'm not a foodie. I'm just a a big guy who likes to eat food. It is exotic enough to be different, but close enough to what we're all familiar with to not put you off eating anything. It is unbelievably delicious from the porridge, which is a lot like oatmeal, and I sneak some of the fresh jam that she makes into that darn porridge in the morning with crepes every morning and eggs and sausage. So that's kind of breakfast. <laughs> Lunch is a wonderful sandwich. And in Alaska, I understand, and where I've been, there's not a lot of fresh fruit and vegetable. Here you have, in the morning, bananas, apples. Every every lunch you have fresh tomatoes, fresh cucumbers, fresh <laughs> everything, onions in your sandwich, everything like that. At dinner, my biggest problem I didn't understand in Russia, they serve you soup, they serve you salad, and you eat that, 
and then the dinner comes. There's like two more courses. Two more courses. And I was full of the hearty soup that they served and the salad thinking that was because the soup has meat in it, thinking that was going to be dinner. Next thing you know, it's pork chops, it's chicken, it's spaghetti. It's all, the food is wonderful. The food is absolutely delicious. And there's, yeah, there's a Svetlana is amazing. That's Mama Bear. You'll hear her name here. She really is. Somebody had mentioned today the glue that holds the whole thing together. Svetlana is spectacular. She speaks fabulous English. Been to America many times. Yep. She is a fascinating Russian woman. Great English. Incredibly intelligent, articulate. Plays great music. Anything from, uh, uh, yeah, what, what's the Russian composer's name? That did the Nutcracker. Yep, yep. To John Denver, which is listening to John Denver. Denver to yeah, talk. I heard her playing some DMX in there one morning. Doesn't mind dancing. If you like to dance, she loves to dance. She'll take a little cut around the kitchen with you. Yeah, so she, yeah, she's got an iPod. She's got a Samsung S7, and she's got a ton of music on that. She's always playing great music in the cookhouse. But they do run a generator here. But that, what Chan said about like fresh produce and that kind of stuff, that is one nice thing about. You know, I I hope to do one of the float camps one day, uh, but that is one nice thing about being in the permanent camp is that that it's easier to have heavy fresh supplies like beer, adequate amounts of beer, and like produce and things like that. You know, we compare this a bit to Alaska because people wonder if it's the same here. These big, huge Russian tractor helicopters bring in. Beer. They bring in Pepsi. They bring in bottled water. None of these things are in short supply around camp. No, so it's so, very comfortable. Yeah, it's very very comfortable. Yeah, it's it's uh, it is very comfortable. The helicopter rides a ton of fun. Uh, you know, I just say like advice wise. You know, if, like Shan said, if you're on the fence about it, you got to give us a call. Uh, we, there are so many stories. Like we could go on and on and on this week about you know, this fish we caught or that fish we caught or the crazy stuff we saw. I, I caught a 25 to 26 inch rainbow, seven feet from the boat. Like these fish, like I don't want to make it sound like it's easy because that's not really it. But the fish are incredibly tolerant because they don't have a lot of direct predators in the water. I saw one osprey the entire week because apparently those white shouldered eagles or those stellars <laughs> eagles. Yeah. Kill the ospreys. Uh, you know the brown bears are not attacking trout. You know they're obviously after salmon. Uh, there, there isn't blue herons. You know there's not a lot of trout predators. These trout persist really well year after year after year. They're also very tolerant predators. So the noise of a fly hitting the water, or a line, or a boat, or a fisherman, they, they, the trout continue to act very predatory and very wild which is refreshing because we don't see a lot of that back home. But as far as the fishing goes, we could share stories this week of just the crazy stuff that we've seen happen. Uh, Fish regurgitating mice, fish eating our mouse pattern numerous times over. You know, a a big rainbow that will attack a mouse pattern three or four times. Uh, Catching rainbows on side channels that are 10 feet wide on mouse patterns. I mean, seeing a thousand char from the boat yesterday in one drift. I mean, Arctic char migrating, you know, up this way. In 20 casts with a streamer, 
catching six different variety of fish and not not having a fish in 20 casts. It yeah, it's pretty stellar. Um, so tomorrow's go home day. Uh, it, it's a hell of a lot to absorb. You know, we've had such an amazing time this week. I mean, as I was thinking about this podcast for the week, like I had all these stories in my mind. I'm like, oh, we gotta talk about you know when that happened or this happened or the other. You know, it just that you gotta come see this to experience it because I think Shan said it really well. Like people don't come because they don't believe the hype. Like it can't be that good. And I'm not I don't want to inflate a bunch of expectations because you shouldn't come here just so you can catch a ton of fish. That should not be a reason that you come here. You should come here to witness the wild. And you should come here to witness an incredible ecosystem while it's still here and it's still healthy and it's still ticking and witness what rainbow trout were like 10,000 I'm just making up numbers 10,000 years ago because these trout really are prehistoric they attack mice they John Hunter caught a 27 inch rainbow on a flipping rat pattern I mean these trout eat with absolute no regard to their well-being or safety the only thing they want to do is get full and sometimes that means getting full on bugs. Sometimes it means eating sculpins. Sometimes it means eating mice. And sometimes it's going to be meaning eating eggs. But these trout are really resourceful. Uh, if you want to experience, you know, the wild, the way it was, you know, eons ago. I mean, the Osirnaya is probably one of the last places left. Yeah, I, I'm not giving anybody, hey, you need to do this now. But there's a lot of reasons why, in a way, you need to do this now. Without Will Blair... Uh, the engine, getting people, getting the his Victor, his Russian contact to get people in here. Will Blair goes away. This goes away. The train, the plane from Anchorage to Petro goes away. This goes away. They close for the season because people don't get here very easily without that. There, there are way there are reasons why you should. If you're thinking about doing it, do it now. And, and and reasons why I'm saddened to think about, because, like I said, Will Blair goes away, this goes away. Some Russian little twist of fate goes away. This goes away. Yeah, he's absolutely right. I mean, it's it, it depresses me to think that people's opportunity to see this, and it's not a cheap trip, um, but people's opportunity to see this might, might up and disappear until somebody else tries to give it a shot. But, you know, so long as Will's running the best at Kamchatka, Yukusha Air's flying from Anchorage to Petro, now's the time. I mean, now's <laughs> the time to get over here and see this. And, uh, you know, you got got 100 miles river with a max of 10 anglers for an entire week in a very short season on this thing. You guys got to come check it out. So uh, give us a buzz. You can email Shan. That's S-H-A-N at redsflyshop.com or email me, joe, at redsflyshop.com. Ping us with questions. Ping us with good questions. We'll answer every one of them. Uh, we'd love to be able to you know, chat with you a little bit. And uh, we got eight, eight of our guests up on the hill right now. Missing us. Missing us. We can hear them hooting and hollering around the campfire celebrating right now i'll tell you what if those guys could be on here giving you testimony right now they'd tell you to sign up and do it so 
maybe a few of you out there at least put it on your list. Maybe not this year, next year, or the other, but uh, put it on your put it on your list. And uh, you know, God willing, this Oscar Night trip will still be available. Reds will still be hosting. We'll get yep. you out here and do it. And hey, everybody says call us, talk to us, email us. Joe and I are sitting here telling you honestly, call us, email us, send us questions because. We, not only we're we excited about it, but we do want to kind of spread the word and get people, other people excited about this. Yeah, and if, if you're still listening, obviously you're pretty interested. Yeah. You're not going to get any sales pressure from us. This trip is okay. going to fill, every time we host one of these, it's going to fill up. So we can arm you with information and plan your own trip, maybe go, you know, a year or two or three years down the road. You're not going to get any pressure from us. We just honestly want to help you. I want to see other people get to experience the highs that we got to see this week at just one of the greatest camps on God's green earth. Yep, and I guarantee you if I had been talking to some Joe Schmo who told me about the experience I'd had this week, I honestly might not have believed him. It uh, was that good. I would have thought this guy exaggerated things, this guy fibbed or fishing lied or whatever you want to call that. And out here... You don't have to do that because those things actually happen to you every day. Day two, we just basically came back and we said, we all got the same damn stories. And a huge smile on our face. Yeah, like we all got the same. And it wasn't even worth talking about like what we caught hardly. I mean, it's like you're in this euphor- trout euphoria. And I have not ever experienced when, let's just say steelhead fishing, and all six of us go out on a boat, somebody's had a bad day. Mm-hmm. Out of the six of us. And somebody only caught one steelhead or didn't catch any. <laughs> when when all five guys or ten guys who are on the five boats are smiling, this huge smile, and can't... They're not even bragging. They're just saying the one thing I remember most was this specific 20-inch rainbow. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy out here. Really, really, really crazy. And no indicator fishing. Uh, not allowed and not required. No indicator fishing. All right, that's all from Shannon Joe at the Osnite Camp of the Best Camp Checkout. Watch for our blog. Watch for YouTube. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram so you can see all the stuff. I'm sweet. going to the campfire. Going to the campfire. We're going to go hang out with the boys. All right, thanks, folks.